Welcome back to Brit David Podcast as Pastor Tim brings us the conclusion to his message today, God's Calling, from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Because certain people are not pastors or deacons in their church, they assume that they have a free pass on the required character qualities found in 1 Timothy 3. The reality is that these qualities are to be the description of every Christian. Paul refers to these simply as faithful men. Do you want to be a faithful man or a faithful woman in your church? Then you need to measure up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's Pastor Tim. Number two. He says a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Doggone it. (laughs) I didn't mean to pick a fight right here at the very beginning. I don't think Paul did either. And I don't think he meant to. What you find in these are clear, clear areas of leadership. So why would he, first of all, why would he mention this? And secondly, why would he put it here? Let me take those in order. To say that he's the husband of one wife, I don't think it disqualifies a single man. I don't think he's talking about the person whose spouse has died and that he has remarried. You know, we we use as a litmus test the issue of divorce. I think really he's going to talk about that more when he gets down deeper in the list than he is even right here. What is he saying? Is he saying just a one-woman man? As in, (laughs) one at the time, or one for life. I believe when you go back in the book of Genesis, what you discover God's purpose for marriage is, is one man for one woman for one lifetime. If that's true across the board, then it has to be true in this call, doesn't it? You say, Tim, that's not fair. Don't, don't tell me whether it's fair. That's the Lord's business, isn't it? This is not the church trying to put a thumb down on some folks and say, hey, you can't serve. This is God saying, a man must be blameless. He must be the husband of one wife. He's talking about sexual and moral purity. Even if there is a range of disagreement on what the husband of one wife means, surely at least the common denominator is, is that that man is faithful to his wife. Purity within that relationship That leads me then to what the next question of why. Why does he put it here? Why does he put it so high up the list? Because this is the area where leaders fall. Overwhelmingly among my peers, this is where we have trouble. 
This is where we stumble. Suddenly our love for our spouse has waned. We begin to find emotional attachments and relationships with people that we should not have. And it seems like before you know it, there's another one. And there's another one, and there's another one, and there's another one. It brings shame to Christ, and it brings shame to His church. And so right here at the very beginning, He says, that man needs to be blameless. That man needs to be the husband of one wife. Thirdly, he, means to, he needs to be temperate. He needs to be calm. He needs to show moderation of, of self-restraint. He, he, needs to, he needs to be sensible. He needs to have good judgment. He needs to be evenly tempered in all things. He avoids extravagance. He avoids overindulgence in areas of life, in different passions and appetites. Why is that important? Because if not, then he's going to gravitate to the next thing. Whatever the next hot thing is, that's what he's after. And he'll be angry when those plans don't work. He is to be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded. Your translation may say prudent. It simply means that you're able to look ahead and see what are the results of this action. If I do this, what's going to happen? It's not just jumping off of a cliff every time that there's, that there's something to be done. He's sensible and self-controlled. Next he says, he is to be of good behavior, respectable behavior, a well-ordered demeanor he is to have. He is to do his duties in a way that fulfills them in an orderly fashion. By the way, this word for good behavior, for respectable, is the same word that he used when he talked about ladies who dress modestly. He has to be modest in the way that he deals with others. Keep going. After of good behavior, he says he is to be hospitable. He is to be hospitable. Uh, the word literally means a lover of strangers. <laughs> can, can you imagine a church leader not being warm and friendly towards other people? You met some of them, right? The church will begin to reflect that. So when I hear people like um, uh, our guest that we had, Dr. Gerald Harris, who was here not too long ago, to say that you are a friendly church. You made me feel so welcome, he said. I take that personally. Because I know that that becomes a reflection on both of us. Hospitable, able to teach, 
By the way, it's just one word in Greek. It's simply stated as a call. This person in informal settings and informal settings is to be able to take God's Word and to be able to explain it and to teach it. Look in the next verse. Look in verse number 3. Not given to wine. You thought we were past the controversy, right? So when you get down to the next paragraph, and he begins to talk about deacons, he says that they're not to be given to much wine. Well, this is what we tell our deacons. Any wine is too much wine. In our context today in which we live, I recognize that there is a variety of of interpretations on this one too. But you cannot tell me that a person who drinks beverage alcohol and who says that they are a believer does not harm their testimony. You cannot tell me that in this day. And there is no way that you can convince me to say otherwise from this pulpit. Because there is no way that I want any of our 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds coming to a point of saying, well, the preacher said it's okay. I don't want anybody to see me at a restaurant or see me in the grocery store and to have that in my buggy or have it on my table. I don't want one person to be able to see the very thing that can destroy my family and destroy our church for me to be a part of. I am convictional about this. And you should be too. At whatever point that you find yourself, you better find biblical conviction about it. Keep going. He says he is not violent. The New American Standard uses the word pugnacious. <laughs> you can hear you hear our pugilist in there, word in there. It means a fighter. It means a bruiser. A person who would lay his hands on someone else. It's interesting to me that this is the quality that follows not to be given to wine. Because one typically follows the other. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. He's also going to say at the end of this verse, not covetous. He's to be free from the love of money. So that's all preachers ever talk about is money. No, it's just the, that's where it hurts us most of the time, right? If you're hoping to get rich in this job, then you're in the wrong job. Because that's not what it's about. You know how you can demonstrate that you're not greedy? It's by being generous. It's in your giving. Not just always counting everything down to the last digit. But to give joyfully and to give cheerfully. That's how you show those things. Let's keep going. He says he is to be gentle. It's interesting that he says not, not, not. And then he says, but. Be gentle. It's a particular kind of gentleness that he mentions here. It's one about forbearance. In other words, it's the person who is received and who understands the mercy of God who now is able to deliver that same mercy out to others. Be firm. 
But you also have to be fair and have to be just. He gets back to the knots. He says, not quarrelsome. Not someone who's always looking for something wrong in somebody else's life. Not always looking for an argument. Not always trying to win an argument. Just because somebody says, <laughs> you know, the sky is blue, doesn't mean you have to say that it's gray. You know, don't be quarrelsome. By the way, this person who's always looking for an argument usually validates himself when he wins the argument. You can win an argument and you can lose a friend. You can win an argument and you can lose a testimony. You can win an argument and lose far more. Let's keep going. We mentioned not covetous, so look down to verse number 4. He says, One who rules his own house well. And then he describes it this way, having his children in submission with all reverence. Doesn't mean at all that he beats them down. It means that he leads them. He leads them the way that Jesus would lead them. If Jesus, if Jesus loves his church the way that a husband is to love his wife, then that becomes the way that he's to rule his home. What kind of home does he have? By the way, notice this. Verse number 5, if yours is like mine, the whole verse is in parentheses. Because this is the first time that he gives us a reason. So far up to this point, he's just said, a man who desires this kind of work must be blameless. He's to be the husband of one wife. He's to be all of these things. And he just says it. But now he says he needs to rule his own house well, having his children, his minor children, in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That's the truth, isn't it? If you really want to know the kind of person that I really am, ask them. I hope they don't tell you, but ask, ask, ask them. Don't catch me on a Saturday. Ask them. Because they know. Why does, he, why does he spend so much time, a verse and a half, on this one issue? Because what a man is at home is what he will be in extreme in front of other people. What you see on the outside needs to match whatever's on the inside. And the truest test of whether a person is qualified to lead or not will be found inside of their home. There's one more. In verse number 6, he says this person is not to be a novice. He's not to be a new convert. And again now he gives us a reason. He says, lest being puffed up with pride... He fall into the same condemnation as the devil. So you find somebody and they'll get excited. I mean, they'll fit verse number one right. I mean, they have a desire. They, they can't stand. They are burning up. They can't help it. They want to get involved in some way. As time goes by, the excitement begins to wane a little bit. 
does the character really remain? That's what you're looking for. Does the character remain? This is not a list of things that you just go and say, okay, these are the things that I'm going to do and I'm going to do them better and I'm going to start this week and I'm going to have a checklist and I'm going to check myself every single day. What do you do when you can't check it? What do you do? What do you do if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a deacon, if you're some kind of leader of any kind of group in church? And you read through this list today and you go, row, row. What do you do? You confess it. Confess it before God and receive His forgiveness. If it's necessary, then you confess it before people. Listen, whether you're a pastor or you're anybody else, we serve at the call of God, but we serve at the pleasure of the people. God may call you to something incredible, but the people around you look and say, yeah, no, you're not leading me that way. I'm not going to that Bible study with that guy. I'm not, I'm not going to fall in line serving with this person. Then you don't have anywhere to go. You need to make those things right with others so that you might lead them. By the way, Titus, Paul writes to Titus a list just like this one, and he adds three that aren't here. Let me just simply give them to you. You're not to be self-willed. You are to love what is good, and you are to be holy. These things are important. Character matters, doesn't it? Character counts. And so the calling expects His character. Now quickly, let me get to these last two things. Number three, this calling envelops your conduct. It's not enough to be able to say, well, that's, that's who I am on the inside. It just, it just hadn't shown up on the outside yet. Listen, whatever's on the inside, it shows up on the outside. It shows up in your words, it shows up in your actions, it shows up in everything. Whoever you are in here always shows up out there, right? So if you'll make sure that these character qualities are yours, then the conduct will follow as well. And what you'll find is what you read in verse number 7. Moreover, we're back to this word must. He must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Listen, those character qualities, yeah, you need to be able to see them. You do. Don't call somebody who's not got those character qualities that you can notice. But the importance of having the right character is not just for those people who are in here. What's the point of the good testimony? He says it's for those on the outside. Those on the outside. To not say, look at that church. Man, they're full of hypocrites. Look at that church. They only care about money. 
Look at that church. They do those things simply for themselves. You will see it in your conduct. As your character begins to show up in your conduct, everybody else will see it. And they will know. So your calling is enveloping your conduct on the outside as well as it is measuring who you are on the inside. Let me give you one more. Number four. This calling engages the charge. It's not just enough to hear a call from God and say, well, that's what I'm called to do, and one of these days I'll get around to doing it. If you've been called by God, then you need to do it. Do it. Do it. Right? All right, so the first seven verses deal with the pastor. The next several verses, from verse 8 down to verse number 13, all deal with the deacon in the same kind of way. He uses the word likewise in verse number 8. Likewise, the deacon is to be like this. So when you get to the end of those two offices and those qualifications, he says this in verse 14. These things I write to you, Timothy, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed... I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, what what Paul is saying is, you know, whether I'm there or whether I'm not there, your conduct needs to be right. But whether I'm there or whether I'm not there, you need to do the work. Do the work. If you've been called to this, don't wait for me. Don't wait for somebody else to say, okay, it's, it's okay, go ahead and go. You need to do, you need to act. In what way? In this specific way, he says, he says this. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And listen to this. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Those are the things that we preach and teach. What is the rule and duty of the pastor? Fast forward a little bit into 2 Timothy for just a moment. He says something similarly in Titus. But I want you to see it clearly here in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. What is the charge? If, if all of those doctrines that he just listed are things I'm supposed to teach and preach, what is the charge of my calling? Whether it's the preacher or the missionary or whatever job it is that you have, what are you supposed to do on your job in your calling? Are you there? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, I charge you therefore... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Preach the Word. Minister the Word. Tell the Word. Tell it to people no matter where you are. 
When you're at the barber shop, tell them the Word. When you're at the grocery store, tell them the Word. When you're at the desk and in the office, tell them the Word. These are the things that we are charged to do. Because this is our calling. Mine and yours. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. I would ask you today, in in your prayer time, to spend some time listening. Listening to the voice of the Lord. God, what do you want me to do? What really is the call on my life? He may very well be calling some in this very room to professional full-time service. In a church. It may be that He's calling some to the mission field. It may be that He's already brought the mission field to you. He's calling you to be a good missionary right where you are. Do you lay this passage before the Lord? And lay your soul bare before Him? And ask His Spirit to speak to your spirit in these moments. That's what He did for me. He'll do it for you. Father, I pray that You would bless us today. As we've been able to hear from Your Word, we pray that we would also hear from Your Spirit. That You would show us the right ways to go and things to do. Bless these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Maybe you need to give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you need to plant your life in our church. Maybe you just need to pray with somebody. If you need those things, I'll stand here. I'll help you. But it may be that you simply want to come to the altar and do business with God. You, and maybe you and a friend. You ready? Sean, lead us. Pastor Tim thanks you for joining us here today on Britt David Podcast. And he would like to invite you to check out our past messages here in our podcast library. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.